Hi, I'm Tony. And I'm Benedict Evans. You wrote a piece two years ago about the VR winter. I think it was 2020 when you wrote this piece. And it feels like we are still talking about metaverse and VR and AR, but yet the conversation seems somewhat the same, or am I? Yeah, well, metaverse is new. That's true. Yes, we've added a new term to the mix. You're right. We have. We have. Well, so the, the way I, w- I was thinking, I'm writing something about this, and the way I was thinking of starting is that, you know, every now and then a chief exec gets onto a plane and reads about something in Business Week, and then when they land, they send an email to everybody saying, what's our strategy for this? And we've all been on the receiving end of that. They're fun. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've had the, uh, yeah, I've had that email. And um, so a couple of years ago, it was the what's our 5G strategy. And that mm. was actually kind of easy because the answer is we don't have one, we don't need one. And in the last 12 months, there's been an awful lot of what's our metaverse strategy emails, um, which is actually a bit more difficult, I think, because metaverse as a term, I think now doesn't, I'm trying to think how to put this, it could mean so many different things. And the speed, the person saying metaverse might mean so many quite different things that the term itself has now become meaningless in the period. Like what do you define ling- metaverse for me? Well, in the yeah. in the kind of linguistic sense that the word yeah. metaverse contains no meaning, it is meaningless because you do not know what the person speaking might mean by it. They might mean VR and they might mean AR. They might mean games. They might mean something about Web3 and crypto and NFTs. They might mean something about video. They might mean something about marketing. They might mean something about TikTok. They might be talking about Roblox. Yeah, I am. They might be. They might mean Gucci is selling shoes in Roblox. This is their metaverse strategy. And so when you say, what do we think about metaverse? The first question has to be, well, OK, now let's step back a second. Like, what are you actually, what are you asking me? Are you ask? And I think there are, you know, kind of two ways or sort of two sets of things that that people are sort of talking about or thinking about when we use this word. And there's a sort of a narrow view is that some combination of VR and AR um, becomes the next kind of generalized universal computing device in the same way that smartphones have. And so several billion people have some sort of VR, AR device, and that is their main computer. That is the next internet. That's the next device. And um, it's the next platform. And we are sort of, on that view, we are sort of where mobile was in sort of 2002 or 2003. And this is why Facebook renamed themselves Meta, because Mark and a bunch of other people there think that this is what's going to happen. And so another kind of 10 years of Moore's law and engineering will get us from the devices that we have now to something to the equivalent of the iPhone, to, you know, devices that become universal. And everyone will have one of these things. And on that view, saying metaverse is a bit like saying mobile internet. It's as though instead of saying mobile internet, we just had like invented a new word to describe that. And so that's and so in that and, and, and hence people saying, should we regulate the metaverse or how will politics work on the metaverse is just completely ludicrous. It's like saying, should we regulate the mobile internet differently from the internet? Well, no, it's just the internet. And, you know, metaverse is just software and the internet, but on a different device with a different display. Um, and so that's kind of a narrow metaverse definition. And... I think the, the question here, which this, so this really becomes a, well, what do we think about VR and AR? And is it where mobile was in the early 2000s? And, you know, to kind of my point, like in the early 2000s, a lot of people were excited about mobile internet. And a lot of people thought that this was going to become like a mass market device thing. I think very few of anybody understood that this was going to replace the PC. 
mm. as most people's main or only device. And a lot of people thought, very few people thought that, a lot of people thought actually this is going to remain like a niche, geeky, high-end thing. It's going to remain like PDAs. It's going to be something that most people don't do. Um, and so it wasn't like completely obvious and self-evident that this would become the universal thing. Um, but then we had 10 years of Moore's Law and engineering and we got this device and that became the universal thing. And so one looks at VR and AR now and says, well, clearly there is a roadmap for this stuff to get much better. So if you listen, look at all the Facebook presentations, if you go and listen to Boz's podcast, you talk to listen to John Carmack's YouTube, two hour YouTube monologues. And you look up from a te the tech perspective, you're saying here, like the technology yeah, from is the going tech to get perspective, so much the technology yep. is going to get a lot better. And so there was this sort of imaginative leap in the early 2000s because we had phones. I remember it was like, it was only in like 2002, three that we started having phones outside Japan that had mm. color screens. And then even then they had like four or five lines of color. They were 2G, they had a very slow processor. You could do a J2ME game, you had GPRS. And even we knew 3G was coming. We didn't really have, I think I got my first 3G phone in maybe like 2000 three no later like probably 2004 or five that was when you started to get like viable 3g phones um and so um but then there was this imaginative leap which was the devices will get better so you had to look at this thing with a four-line display and realize what it would mean if you had the displays we have today and that and and so you had to understand how much the phone better the devices would get you had to understand that our behavior, that the, the internet would be reshaped towards those devices. That habits would change, yeah. That, and that the habits would change. So both the, the services and the websites and the software would change and reshape themselves around this device. And it would turn out that rather than being more limited than desktop, these devices are actually more capable than the desktop on, in all the ways that matter. They have a camera, they have touch, they have all these sensors. And also that our behavior would shift towards them as well. So you've got these kind of paths of lots of things moving and changing following what Moore's Law and engineering would do. And so the whole internet remakes itself around these things. And so you can look at VR and AR and say, like, unquestionably, these things will get way better. The displays will get better. They will get much lighter. We, we know that for VR. For AR, it's a little bit more open whether the optics will really get us to something that look like a pair of eyeglasses that can put something into the world as though it's really there. We don't quite know how far that away, away that is. Um, but with VR, unquestionably, you'll get something that's fantastic, that almost looks like you're really there, that feels like a pair of ski goggles as opposed to feel, wearing like this computer on your head. And if that technology evolves in that way, then you can start seeing how our habits can start well, implementing. You can see how they might. Yeah. And I think this is a sort of, this goes back yeah. to mobile. Like just because mobile happened... You can't just kind of presume that 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 when we apply the engineering and the Moore's law and get better device, it doesn't necessarily follow that this becomes a universal device. And I think there's there's kind of a couple of, of, of sort of sort of blocks to think about there. Like one of them is sort of deterministically, like you know, this didn't happen with games consoles. You know, we applied twenty or thirty years of Moore's law and engineering to games consoles, and the graphics got incredible, and most people don't care. Like mm. most, you know, install base of a games console, this sort of 20 or 30 million is, is, is like 175 million units, maybe 200 million units if you include Nintendo. Most people see a AAA game and they say, I don't care. That's very pretty. Well done. And then they don't buy it. And by extension, there's this interesting kind of phrase that, that people use, which is immersive. And, it, and it's a kind of a kind of a, it's like a kind of teleological view that um, computing moves towards more immersive more immersion, better immersion, better experience, more deep, more rich. And of course, once you've got the tech right, it's more immersive, therefore people will do it. 
and it's it's interesting because clearly that's not what happened with games or no, games at all. Like to the extent that games have become something that lots of people do is by expanding them beyond the immersive AAA experience. Um, but I think also you could look at the progress from 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 TV to PCs and PCs to, to smartphones and say this is the opposite. That a smartphone is actually much less immersive than a PC. You're not sitting in front of it for three hours a day just looking at that screen. Instead, it's something that you do in five, ten seconds. You know that you can pick up and put down. That it's with you all the time, but you can put it in your pocket all the time. And yes, people spend two hours looking at TikTok, but you're not but, being sucked you know, in. You're not, for, it, yeah, it's not filling your whole world. I mean, it's a phrase I used in my um, my newsletter a couple of weeks ago, which I coincidentally or not, Evan Spiegel then echoed at um, Wall Street Journal Live concert conference this week. Which, as I said, using VR is like climbing inside a computer. And he said, you know, like you're using VR is like living inside a computer. That's is that necessarily the direction of travel? Yeah, that's what he was saying, wasn't it? He was saying that I have no desire to come from a long day of work and then like climb into a computer for another few hours and be in this immersive space. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so you have to ask the question: Actually, is that an inevitable direction yeah. of travel? Is that what we've been doing? And I thought. I thought like the second build, interesting building block here was that when we went from des basically desktop internet, desktop software to mobile, on the one hand, we changed what all mm -hmm. the software is. So you don't do Excel on your phone. And in fact, you don't do Excel at all anymore. You shift what you're doing. You change how you're working, what your working patterns are. Um, but the other side of it is um, that most of what we were doing remained in 3D, in 2D. Text is 2D, pictures are 2D, video is 2D. Most of what we do is 2D. Um, and so the shift in character to move to 3D is actually much bigger than the shift. You know, maybe what will happen, but it is a bigger change. If you believe that we'll go to move to predominantly 3D experiences, that's a much bigger change than moving from desktop to mobile, or certainly a change of a different character. It's a different kind of change. It's a, and it's interesting also to think about, like, what are the things that we would want to change? What are the things that we're happy to move to that space? When you were saying, like, what do you do on your computer? What do you do on your phone? It's interesting that I've started editing videos on my phone versus mm. on my computer. And but for example, I still don't do e-commerce or I still don't shop on my phone. I have to do that on my computer. So to your point, it's going to be interesting of like, what are the habits that we've already started shifting yeah. from desktop to phone? And then what are the habits that we're willing to shift from phone to actually know I need to be in this immersive space in the whether that's the metaverse or VR to do it's this funny. thing? I mean, I am. Um, so two observations here. First observation is, you know, back when we were all talking about mobile in the mid 2000s, that you, you get every conference you went to for about 18 months, people would say, uh, you'll be walking down the street, you'll walk past a Starbucks, you'll get a coupon for a free coffee. I remember that. And, the, and of course, that didn't happen. And in fact, arguably, it still hasn't, hasn't happened. happened. And yet, meanwhile, people didn't realize that ordering a taxi might benefit from a mobile app and GPS, that fixing your location might be useful for a whole bunch of other stuff, not that. Versus so receiving can, a like, coupon you... because you walk past the store. Yeah. Yeah. And so you can like, you can really not understand what this thing is for. Um, but but the other side of this, I think, is um, um, that you kind of people that, uh, and yes, you know, you kind of can't imagine what the new forms will be. And we weren't expecting TikTok and Instagram on mobile, on desktop necessarily. Um, but there is, you know, the other thing that occurs to me is I remember looking at Microsoft launching something called the Surface Studio, which was this kind of giant touchscreen Mac and PC that they launched, which was running, actually running like a laptop chip. So it was really slow. And it had like, they had a pencil, a pen, a type stylus that you could use over the whole surface as a like 30 inch screen. And all of this is like four or five years ago. 
And all of Twitter was like, this is, oh my God, this is amazing. Why doesn't Apple do this? And I kind of looked at it and I thought, how many people's job is drawing? How does drawing, I mean, this is the problem with the, the, the iPad pencil. Like I've got one, I never use it. I got one, it's in a drawer somewhere and it's definitely nowhere near yeah, close to my most, iPad. <laughs> like it's schoomorphism. And most, you know, Salesforce is actually better with a keyboard than with a pencil. Most people's job does not involve drawing. Or, and indeed, note taking is generally for most people better with a pencil, with a with a keyboard. Um, yes, this is. Oh, I'm I'm sure there's academic research that says it's better if you write. No, everyone takes notes with with a keyboard. And there's but there's a sort of a more generally like um, and the same thing with all these these sort of. So as I look at sort of Facebook's concept videos, I see two things. The first thing I see, I see three things. Firstly, I see people playing games. Question: Do people want to play rich, deep, rich, immersive 3D games? Well, some people do. As we were saying earlier about games consoles, it's not self-evident that everybody does. Secondly, I see people doing and manipulating 3D shapes. So people designing a car, people designing clothes. Great. Most people don't design cars for a living. Most people do not work in 3D. Yeah, it's still most pretty niche. Salesforce, yeah. Salesforce or email or like most people are not actually editing, doing work that involves a 3D object. And yeah, data visualization in 3D. And yes, you could have looked and gone back to the 80s and said, why do we need graphics? Accountants don't need a GUI. Accountants just need text and numbers. They don't need a mouse. They don't need color. They don't need a graph. Why do they need charts? So you maybe, maybe stuff will get turned into 3D. But again, it's a much bigger shift in character. Um, and then the third thing, of course, that you see is you're wearing your VD head, 3D headset and suddenly you, your VR headset and suddenly you see like uh, your whole room is full of giant floating 50-inch screens. <laughs> And I kind of look at this and I think, I don't think the direction of travel of software is bigger screens. I don't think the direction, or more fundamentally, is not about showing you more information. It's not about having more rows in the spreadsheet. It's having less rows in the spreadsheet and not having a spreadsheet and having machine learning do it for you. It's not me opening a spreadsheet and seeing 200 rows and now I can see the pattern. No, it's machine learning tells me what the pattern is. What's evolving, what's changing versus, yeah, it's an and, interesting one. And the direction of travel of software is not that I should see 200 fields in Salesforce at once or that I should see 300 columns in Excel and then I'll be able to work more productively. No, the way you work more productively is the software hides all the rows and tells you what the thing is. Um, you know, it's not seeing 300 Salesforce contacts at once. It's installing people.ai and that does natural language processing on the text going in and out of Salesforce to tell you which sales processes are going wrong. Like that's that's all software. It's, that's not, it's not like more rows and more columns. And so I kind of look at this and I'm like, yes, this is, it's, maybe it's like saying that GPS is so you can get a Starbucks coupon and GPS is a big deal, but not for that. Um, but all of this, I mean, this, this sort of takes me on to so sort of thinking structurally, like this is my second definition of VR, of, of metaverse, which is it's not just talking about mobile internet, it's imagining what a 3D world would be. And so it gets you this world of um, R, but it's not just the internet, but in VR. It's so much it will more. Actually be a different, it will be a different internet. And so it will be this big interoperable 3D world, some of which will be games, some of which will be not, some of which will be social, all of which will be interoperable and portable and transparent and mobile. And you can move your assets from one to the other. Um, it's kind of like the Wreck-It Ralph, if you've seen that movie, like where you can move between all these different experiences and like the space, the space marines from one game can go into Pac-Man and kill the ghosts. I, this version of the metaverse is we're thinking too small. We need to think much bigger about what's yeah. potentially um, 
possible. It yeah. is. I mean, as we were chatting about this earlier, as I've, I've just listened to listening to a podcast about Plato's Republic, and it occurred to me that that a lot of these sorts of descriptions, and in fact, some of the character of the way people talk about quote unquote Web three, is it's kind of like you know seventeenth, eighteenth century philosophers creating imaginary republics, yeah, and imaginary constitutions. So you describe a constitution where, you know, you've got a council of elders and a council of the young and you've got the workers and you've got the the, 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 the scholars and the philosophers and the, the peasants and the sailors and the farmers. And this is how it all works. And this is who the judges are. And you're kind of it. And what you're doing is you're creating an imaginary republic to avoid actually engaging with the complexity of real life. Yeah, it's like, let's let's ignore the actual facts and reality and let's build a utopia and theoretically what would be possible. And you go like, that's great, but that's actually not possible. And that's not the way yeah, in which we Yeah, it's like, um, you know, there's a story about when they were building SimCity and they were like trying to make it as realistic as possible. And then they realized that if they actually made it the, the way American cities are built, <laughs> then it would basically be parking lot, Sim parking lot. <laughs> Shit, we have no infrastructure, no road infrastructure, and a fuck ton of cars. What do we do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where are the housing shelters? And 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 and, oh, and you know, it's like you know, reading depressing. about you know, New York, New York City. You know, you want to build a subway line? Okay, come back in thirty years. And so the reality of like, no, it's like you're, you've retreated to your you're building castles in the sky because you can't actually you know rather than engaging with the reality of this. And so this is how I feel when people talk about oh well in Web three there'll be no gatekeepers. Um, you know, it's like that line from, you know, American Tale, there are no cats in America, you know. Um, yes, there are. <laughs> How do you think this works? It's a very, and we're not going to talk about this, but it's the, it's there's a very real parallel with what's happening with Elon Musk buying Twitter, just like, oh, it's just about free speech. And you're just like, eh, many people have tried. It's actually not that simple. There's the yeah, reality th you know, of censorship. Thinks free, everyone thinks free speech is easy until they get their first CSAM report. <laughs> Um, and I know it's not it's not easy. And, you know, I suppose what I'm getting at is like designing a new Internet that will exist in 10 years time is like a nice, you know, kind of it's a nice thing to do in your armchair over a glass of port or, you know, some bourbon or something. But like, no, that's not how technology gets built. And it is sort of and there's two problems with this. The first of them is like you're not engaging with the complexity of why there are gatekeepers and, you know, why this stuff works like this. And all the reasons why the reasons why the world is as it is will not exactly just disappear that. if you design a new system. Exactly um, that. More, yeah. more, more fundamentally, um, you know, gravity will not go away if you say, now imagine a planet where there's no gravity. Well, you know, sorry, you can't do that. This, this, the more fundamentally, I mean, it was kind of reminded me a lot of this phrase, um, information superhighway. And so for the younger people listening to this, back in the early 2000s, before the internet had really broken through as everyone understood this is the only thing, um, you had these whole conversation where people would kind of realize, okay, these PC things are quite popular. There's like tens of millions of people have a PC. And literally, in the early 90s, there were maybe 75 to 100 million PCs on earth, depending on your estimate. And most of them are in companies. So there's like 10, 20, 30 million house consumer households have a PC. And you realize this is going to be a big thing. And maybe lots of people are going to have one and they'll be connected to a network. And what will that mean? And so you get a whiteboard. And you write words like graphical user interface and multimedia and convergence and interactivity on it. And you imagine things like Encarta and CD-ROM multimedia encyclopedias. And you say, well, in the future, students will learn with interactive CD-ROMs and they'll watch video clips instead of, and they'll visualize the past. And you'll see, so you'll write all these words down and then you'll draw a box around it and you'll call it information superhighway. 
and which is a very term kind of sound centralized. And you say, well, who will build this? Well, like AT&T and British Telecom and Disney and Bertelsmann and the New York Times Company um, and Time Warner. And of course, all of the things that you were describing did kind of happen. You know, we are now listening to this podcast, recording this podcast. We are doing interactive multimedia, digital multimedia over converged networks. That's what happened, but not like that in any way like that, not from those companies. And the sort of the fundamental shift in the Internet was that the Internet was decentralized and permissionless. I mean, this is great story. I can never remember who it was. Was it Craig McCaw? Um, Steve Jobs talking to Craig McCaw. And one of them says to the other, the Internet is great. We should buy it. Which in the early 90s was like a, a rational thing that you could say. And that's what it's like talking about metaverse now. It's like it's this it's this top down, centralized, inorganic, deterministic, predetermined sort of ideal republic, utopian vision of this is how the Internet will work. And it's got all these kind of other ideas attached to it, like um, I was describing this as like Katamari Damacy, which you hadn't heard of, where it's like you roll the ball along the street and it picks up every random thing around. So it's somehow it's picked up Web3 and it's picked up NFTs and it's picked up interoperability and it's picked up gatekeeping and no gatekeeping. So whatever your kind of random hobby horse of something you don't like about how tech works now, well, that will be solved in the metaverse. And that's like, that's, but that's, like, that's, not, that's not how technology works. It doesn't get built according to these kind of predetermined plans. So you can sit down and write a book and say, this is what the internet will be like in 10 years time. It should do this. It should do that. It will work these are the like problems this. we're going to solve. And this is how we're going to solve them. And this is why we need to solve them. Yeah. And so I think, you know, it's it, look, talking about all of this stuff, as I said, it is like talking about mobile in the mid 2000s, early 2000s. If you understand that everything you say is going to be wrong and nothing's going to happen for 10 years. It's a conversation worth having. It's a topic worth digging into. The technology, yes, it's going to get better. It is going to allow us to do more things that we haven't even imagined or dreamt of. But everything that we are imagining and everything that we are suggesting is probably not what is actually going to happen in 10 years' time. Yeah, both in the detail, like it's the Starbucks example. Whatever example you have, that probably won't be what happens. But more generally, the structure of the idea that it would all be run by the telcos, which was how people thought about mobile internet then. It will all be run by the telcos and it will be, you know, we will be thinking in terms of multimedia terminals. That was fine. What will the terminal be? No, it's not a terminal. It's a computer and it's not controlled by the network. The network becomes a dumb pipe and it's the device that, that controls everything. And the services will not be specified by the ITU and the 3GPP. They will evolve organically out of the entire global technology industry. And it won't work as one sort of single unified system. It's actually just sort of talking about this, you know, like if you watch, not that I've been to the movies for years, but like whenever you watch a sci-fi movie, whether it's like anything from Avatar to um, like the Marvel movies, the thing about the computers is it's one system. It's all one application. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, they all talk to each other. It's all interoperable. It's yeah. all, no matter where you are, who's connecting to it, what information you need, it's just one giant box. There's, yeah, there's yeah. no sense that you've got different computers <laughs> that do different things or different software that does There's no opening things. up a different software and ensuring the software is talking to, and that you have an API that needs to connect. It's all in one browser tab. And the thing about, the, talking about this with the internet, like the internet is completely interoperable at the lower levels of the stack with IP and HTTP and SSL and so on. 
But once you're in the browser, like if you're building Amazon, you don't need to worry about how Instagram works. Like there isn't one, you know, once you get up to the stuff that the consumer sees, Instagram isn't interoperable with Uber. And indeed, that statement is kind of nonsensical. And the idea that Instagram and Uber would coexist in sort of one unified interoperable space, like which layer of the stack are we talking about? Because they all use IP and HTTP and, you know, on the iPhone, they're all running built on, on iOS and they're all using Apple's frameworks. But like what happens in the Amazon app doesn't, no one working at Amazon needs to care about how YouTube works. And there isn't like some sort of central standardization body that's deciding what Amazon and YouTube can do, except, you know, at a really, really low level at the bottom of the stack. It's very similar to your argument of there's no such thing about data, just like, why do you, why would you need to have all of these different data pieces about you and pull them together? It doesn't yeah. actually tell a story. It's completely pointless. It's, why, it's, why are we having this conversation? Exactly. It's a bit like, you know, a very, very, very different context. Um, you know, there's a sort of whole, I often kind of compare the tech industry to the car industry. Um, in the, like the first 50 years of cars is what's a car and the second 50 years is what happens when everyone has one and we're sort of at that point with computers now um, and there's a sort of narrative that says well there was Ford and General Motors and Chrysler and they won and that was it for the car industry until the Japanese came along but I would kind of look at that and say no it's not Ford, General Motors and Chrysler it's Ford, General Motors, Chrysler, Lockheed, Boeing, Republic, Raytheon, General, um, um, General Electric, DuPont, US Steel it's engineering that's so that's your comparison. You want to talk if you want to talk about like the comp the dominant companies, talk about mechanical engineering. It's not just Google, Apple, mm. Facebook. It's it's Google, Apple, mm. Facebook, Microsoft, um, Salesforce, um, Shopify, Okta, Spotify, um, pick twenty or thirty other companies. It's why isn't Qualcomm on that list? You know. Pick all of if we're actually going to engage with this, why isn't Adyen on that list? Why isn't Stripe on that list? You know, sit. You know, what are the com the tech companies? Because it's not just the three. It's not just. It's, this is my point. It's not just General Motors and Ford. It's not just Google and Apple. It's also Salesforce, and it's fifty or hundred other companies in that space. And the same thing here. And the idea that there's just kind of one standard that like, it's like saying that Excel and Photoshop have to be interoperable. It's as though you're sitting down in ninety and 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 you know in nineteen ninety and saying Excel and Photoshop have to be interoperable. I don't think they existed or barely existed then. Um, like, well, they are that they both they're both written on Win thirty two and they're both written with whatever. Um, they both have a Mac app and a Windows app and they use Apple APIs and Windows APIs, but they're not really interoperable. Yeah, like you can't you can't open similar. a Photoshop file in Excel. What would that mean? You know, once you go up above the Win thirty two APIs and the GUI and the mouse, everything else is what it is. It's not like they don't all have to work in the same way. And so maybe even if VR and AR, this is my kind of separating my two VR definitions, even if AR and VR do become the universal device, we will be using different software from different companies that will work in different ways. Just like we just like we do now. And it would be it's a funny thing is like there's this idea that it would be a utopia if they all work the same way. No, that would be terrible. You don't, you don't want TikTok to have to work the way LinkedIn works. You want TikTok to be able to do whatever the hell they want in the UI. Bad example. We don't want TikTok to be able to do whatever it wants. But like, you don't want software design to be kind of standardized at that level. You want people to be able to build new stuff. And that's like that. But that was that was the breakthrough of the internet that you have decentralized permissionless innovation and the kind of paradox of people talking about metaverse is it's, it it sounds incredibly centralized like there's one committee that decides how all of this works truly and what got what was interesting also is your definition there of just like we had the first half of the conversation was 
what is this thing? What happened? And then the second part of the definition that you're saying, well, what happens when everyone has a car? What happens when everyone has an iPhone? And I think it feels like everyone's talking about the metaverse, VR and AR, as if everyone has these tools. And to your point, when just nowhere near there yet. Yeah. Um, you know, what's your metaverse strategy? As I, as I've said before, it is like saying what you know the, the 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 most constructive way of talking about this, and I mostly I've just been saying this is all bullshit because I think most of it is. But the kind of constructive way of talking about this is to say, well, what was your mobile strategy in two thousand four? So you had a mobile website, and you maybe if you were in the right industry, maybe you were looking at J two M E games, maybe you were doing ringtones. That was a thing. They had a you had a mobile team. I don't think you've got a mobile team anymore. But 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 equally, none of the stuff that you're doing in 2005 was relevant in 2010. And so even if you think that VR and AR are going to work and are going to be the universal thing, think of anything you're doing now as pure experiment, as pure experiment, pure learning, poor interest, pure interest, with no expectation that this is going to be meaningful. Approach it as a yeah. niche, approach it as if a handful of people yeah. are using this um, and focusing on this, not as if everyone has the headset and ready to go and after long days of work. Yeah, and it's yeah. a good way to, and maybe you can you can probably win an award. You can get you know you can you can probably like win an award at Cannes <laughs> and you can spend some experimental this budget. This is Benedict's strategy time. of how you get an award at Cannes <laughs> and get invited. <laughs> uh, yeah, but nobody's doing this yet. There is no metaverse. What is your metaverse strategy? There's no metaverse. It's like, you know, never mind the early two thousands. It's like talking about the mobile internet in nineteen ninety two. Like no one's got a mobile phone. What are you talking about? Remember the IBM Simon or General Magic? I mean, there's a funny paradox. I mean, this is this is the um, go kind of go 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 all go all kind of economical. But like, this is why Meta has such an enormous budget for building, for spending on this stuff, because when Apple and Tony Fidel has made this point that you know he looked at it. I don't I disagree with Tony about this, but Tony was looking at this and say this is absurd. What the fuck are they spending all this money on? Because um, the the iPhone, the original iPhone, was basically all off the shelf software hardware. There was no bespoke hardware in that at all. Everything they used came out of the existing supply chain. It all existed already. The memory chips, the CPU, the screen. I mean, the multi-touch screens were relatively new then. There was another phone on the market. There was an LG phone that had multi-touch. Um, so that was the only thing that no one that was didn't exist already. You know, all the components are basically off the shelf. Whereas because they could sit on the mobile phone industry, the you know device industry, everything else. Whereas what Facebook has kind of realized is that if you want to make a VR headset, you've got to make everything. It's kind of, it's like the great trap is the original VR awakening, the great kind of re new rebirth of VR, or now almost 10 years ago, was when people realized that the components had got to the point that the dream from the early 90s would work now, because now you had the GPUs and the screens and the CPUs to do it. Except that then you realized, actually, no, the screens that you had that were built for smartphones were actually not good enough. And so you need massively higher pixel density than you need for a screen. You need much better GPUs and you need all this other stuff. So you need all the sensors. So you, maybe you have like a wristband that can work out where your fingers are. You need some kind of sensor that can work out your where your legs are, which is like to me is it's just silly complaining that Meta's VR system doesn't have legs. I have all the things to worry about. This is not, That's what not you choose to focus on? <laughs> that would not be on my top 50 list of problems with VR. Um, but like it's as though... Apple had to invent ARM and LCDs and invent discrete GPUs and create GSM and buy Wi-Fi. It's like that's kind of why they're spending all this money because they realize now actually there isn't all the stuff you need to get VR working actually isn't sort of already there waiting to be plugged together the way smartphones kind of were. Um, 
And so that's why that gets it back to the kind of the tenure of Moore's law and engineering. It will take a lot more work to, to get all this stuff working. But you know, back to the beginning, if it does work, um, we can't just kind of presume that once you've done that engineering, everyone will buy it. And we also can't just kind of talk about this stuff now so we can describe the way it will work. It's like, you know, again, it's like predicting the internet in 1990 or predicting mobile in 2000. It won't work. It will, even if it happens, it won't be like that. Yeah. You notice, I think that's where my head is at. I know there's something interesting here. I know there's something to focus on. I just still can't wrap my head around what any of these use cases would be for me to to need any of this. Mm. There's nothing there now. There may be a lot. Whatever it is, it's not whatever we describe now because it can't because we can't we can't predict it like that. We just can't. There we are. That's Nobody great. knows anything.